You're listening to an audio sermon from Redemption Church in Olds, Alberta. It is our prayer that through this ministry, we will see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, or to let us know how we can be praying for you, visit us online at www.redemptionolds.com or send us an email at info at redemptionolds.com. morning again. Uh, thank you, Josh and team, for the worship. It's, an awesome, it's awesome to worship the Lord. Amen? It's always good to worship the Lord, the King of kings, Lord of lords. He's worthy of our worship. And uh, I remember one book that I have read when I was in school. John Piper said, Worship continues because mission mission continues because worship does not. That's why we're here to worship the Lord. That's the ultimate expression of our faith to Him. And uh, that's why we always um, do things what we do as preachers of the Word of God or as ministers of the Word of God. Uh, that's what we do, call people to come and worship our awesome God, our awesome Father. Again, thank you for your uh, invitation, especially from your pastor, um, for me to come here to speak to you today of the Word of God. It's a privilege to be able to share to you the Word of God. And, um, I do not have anything for you, actually other than the Word of God. It's only the Word of God that I am uh, here speaking in front of you. Uh, Other than that, I have nothing for you. And I'm praying that I will be able to encourage you and provide you your spiritual food for today. But I'm pretty sure, because I've listened to two of your previous sermons uh, last Sunday and the other Sunday, your anniversary. Happy anniversary, actually. I, by the way, believe they'd have anniversary. And uh, I am pretty sure that you have been having a steady, healthy uh, feeding of the Word of God. And I praise God for that from your pastor and whoever is preaching, who else is preaching in your, at, your, at this church. And uh, that's what we want to do when we come here. Worship the Lord and, and preach the word in season and out of season. And I also thank uh, my friend here, Rolando, who comes with me to uh, be here. He's here in front. And uh, two of my care groups in Calgary, uh, Derek and Heather, they're there. So thank you for coming with me, accompanying me here, Redemption Olds. 
Um, the verse that we'll be looking at this morning is from the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. 2 Timothy verse 3, chapter 3, verse 12. Only one verse for today. Uh, that would be easier for all of us to add one more verse to our list of memory verses. Because it's short, and it's a good verse. I like this verse. Um, the theme of this letter uh, of Paul to Timothy is Paul's exhortation to Timothy because apparently Timothy is spiritually weakening with all the trials and tribulations that is going on at, at the church in Ephesus. So Timothy is the pastor at the church in Ephesus during the first century. By the way, it was written somewhere around 67 or 68 AD, uh, this letter of Paul uh, to Timothy. And this is the last letter of Paul um, that he had written. I believe that this verse covers the whole life of a believer or follower, for it comprises the whole sanctification process. From beginning to end, it is a daunting task, actually, to cover every possible experience of every believer. And so, I would like to give you today a genre, or a generic summary, I mean, of the life of a Christian. Let me qualify that for a moment. When I say a Christian, I am referring to a privileged group of people who at some point in their lives humbled themselves to God, repented of all their sins, trusted in Jesus Christ, in his perfect life of obedience, and his atoning work on the cross, and his resurrection. That's very important for us to always have that comprehensive grasp of the gospel. This is what we call in theology as justification. God declaring a humble sinner or trusting believer in Jesus. Remember, the Christian life consists of three stages, justification, sanctification, and glorification. In our time this morning, I would like us to see the big picture of these three stages, a kind of bird's eye view of the first and the third stage, and for the second stage, which most of us are in this second stage, we will try to explore more with the idea of Christian persecution and suffering. I am hoping that after a time, we will have a clearer picture of things. But before we dive in, let us pray one more time. Our Father and our God, thank you that we can come again to worship you in spirit and in truth. You are worthy of all our praises and adoration, Father. And as we come to your word, only one verse today, God, you have said in your word, this verse in 2 Timothy 3.12, through your apostle Paul. But we believe, Lord, that there are so many things, how we can explain this word, God, um, how we can exposit this word, so speak to us, Lord. We are listening. 
um, for your greater glory. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Again, our verse this morning is from 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, and I will be reading from ESV. It says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. A short historical background, Timothy was one of the Apostle Paul's crew. The other guys, as you may all very well know, are Barnabas and Silas. Timothy's name was first mentioned in Acts 16.1. There are two epistles written to him, 1 and 2 Timothy. They are part of the genre we knew as the pastoral epistles. The other one is the letter to epistle or epistle to Titus. Paul left his co-worker Timothy in the city of Ephesus to deal with some renegade leaders in the church there. When Timothy struggled, however, Paul went back to Ephesus. Once there, Paul suffered a great deal of harm. There's persecution there already from Alexander, one of the leaders. And then Paul was once again imprisoned and taken to Rome. He expected that this time he would be tried and executed. So again, the second letter, Paul is expecting that he will be, persec- that he will be executed, that he, he is expecting that he will die. Paul wrote to Timothy to ask him to come to Rome quickly. Things in Ephesus had not gone as Paul or Timothy expected. Paul had ordered both Alexander and Hymenaeus to step down from leadership. But they were continuing to oppose Paul. Others had joined them, and they were still misdirecting people into a corrupted version of the faith that stressed debate and dissension rather than purity and obedience. Timothy was discouraged and intimidated. Paul's letter includes challenges to stay faithful to the true message, even if this meant suffering or death. Paul reminds Timothy that in the days before the open appearance of Jesus as king, there would be lots of trouble or persecution or tribulation. False teachers, treacherous and and insincere people, persecutions and more will all challenge the faithfulness of God's people. Paul urges Timothy to remember the gospel of Jesus Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. So what we are doing here is short historical background so that we know why Paul is saying these words in 2 Timothy 3. This is the theme of the letter. Paul points out that the sacred writings Timothy has known since he was a child are God-breathed. You know where that verse is found? Second Timothy as well, but later from our verse. It's God, God's word is God's breath and will help him continue living a godly life. So our, our topic for this morning is godly living. And how, would those, how does this look like to us as believers? It starts from being positionally sanctified. Positionally sanctification, positional sanctification or justified. The conjunction chi in Greek from the beginning of our verse, the beginning of our verse is the word indeed or yes or yeah. 
is somewhat, and this is in Greek, kai, is somewhat a connector of the justification and justification work of God in the life of a believer. Paul is telling to Timothy that suffering or persecution is indeed a part of his faith in Christ. Did you get that? Paul is telling Timothy that persecution is indeed, yes, he say, yes, Timothy, persecution and suffering is part of your faith. Or simply Paul is saying, you being the pastor of this church, there will be suffering for you, there will be persecution and, and tribulation as you do your work, your ministry as a pastor. Meaning, to us, as soon as a believer was justified, immediately there was a sense of submission to the Lord, our God, by saying, yes, Lord, I will obey. Whatever you want me to do, your will be done, Lord. Believers have an overwhelming gratitude to their Savior for doing all the work for them to be justified or declared righteous. To be justified or to be declared righteous. That's the meaning of the word justification. This is a forensic or legal declaration, meaning this divine verdict of acquittal pronounced on the believing sinner. Justification is the divine verdict of acquittal to a humbling sinner, to a repentant sinner. Furthermore, this declaration of God is inviolable, inviolable or secure. From this moment on, Romans 8.1 is already true to them. That, that there is no more condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. However, I have to re reiterate to you that the Christian life is not a bed of roses. I am sure you know you know what I am talking about. So get this. And if you're taking notes, write it in capital letters. It will cost you everything. To be a believer of Jesus Christ will cost you everything. Your relationships, your career, your possession, your reputation, and even your life. Why is that? Because it costs the life of the only begotten Son of God to purchase our redemption. And so if we say we want to follow Jesus, we're not only after the good things of being a Christian, but also the suffering or persecution that comes with it. And so from the moment we trust Jesus as our Savior, we started telling him that we are willing to submit to him in all things. The way of the cross is being ready to say, Father, take this cup away from me, but not my will, but yours, but your will be done. That is the kind of faith or sanctification we are talking here. Does this sound foreign to you? I hope not. Or are you saying that you did not sign up for this? I hope not. Listen to what Kent Hughes and Brian Chappell have to say about this. If anyone accepts a set of standards that are different from the world's standards, he is bound to have trouble. 
And if anyone proposes to introduce into his life a loyalty which surpasses all earthly loyalties, then there are bound to be clashes and collisions. Some form of opposition will come if we attempt to witness to a world that hates to be told the truth and love darkness. Does this sound a little bit familiar with what is happening to the church nowadays? Are you convinced that your faith in Jesus Christ includes tribulation and suffering and persecution? Emphatically, I will say, yes, it does. It does. And please, don't think that the Lord is very hard to us, his followers. No, he is not. Because if you keep on reading the last part of what he said in John 16.33, John 16.33, he said, Take heart, I have overcome the world. Meaning, he will help us and be with us, Matthew 28.20, when we serve him and suffer for his sake. Those verses, if you want to take this, them down, John 16.33 and Matthew 28.20. There's huge encouragement for us as believers as we continue to serve and suffer persecution. And for those who are not yet sure of the relationship with God and their salvation from the Lord Jesus, I am praying that this will encourage you to seek the Lord in your life. The Christian life is not perfectly, it's not a perpetual suffering. It's not like you suffer since the time that you get born again or you got saved, you continue suffering. That's not, that's not our Lord. He knows what we can bear. And so, if you want to have eternal life, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. He did for you and me what we can never accomplish in this life. His cross and resurrection is the only way for us to be reconciled to the Father. Believe in the Word of God that there is no other way except Jesus Christ. Except Jesus Christ. Repent of all your sins, present, past, present, and future, and continue living a life of repentance and submission to God and the Bible. I urge you, for those who are not yet sure of their salvation or, or their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, I urge you to talk to your elders, to the elders here of this church, so that they can help you know Jesus Christ. I implore your conscience to not presume on the grace and love of God regarding your eternal destination because God already said who goes to heaven and who does not. There is no gray area in this matter. God has made it very clear already. It is in your Bible if you're still wondering what I'm talking about. God is only asking you to trust his son, Acts 16.31.
believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Jesus paid it all. It is like this. We committed innumerable sin, sins, plural, because we know we're all guilty. We have lots and lots and lots, innumerable sins, and Jesus paid them all. That's what happened when we, we were justified, when we were declared righteous. For the believers, prove to God that you are that your justification is true by being godly in your ways. Live a life of submission to the Lordship of Christ. And I pray that repentance is a daily, is a daily activity, a moment-to-moment humility to the Lord. Let your position in Christ match your practice. This would lead us now, this would lead us now to our second point. Uh, we'll continue to believe in Christ. This is what we call as progressive sanctification or experiential sanctification. This is what I call as the real stage, the real stage of sanctification, because it is where we contribute to the work of God in us. Again, the word sanctification means to set apart for special use, to make him holy, to make him godly. We'll focus more of our time here because I believe that this is where we as believers should be doing while awaiting for him in his second coming. For those who are not yet in Christ, this is a preview to you of what you would expect of your life if God calls and saves you. A little footnote, it's not our decision to make us part of the kingdom of God. It's never our decision. It is God's ultimate prerogative to save those whom he wanted to save. A potential and probable believer of Christ, then, is someone who begged for mercy and grace by praying to God, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. This one simple prayer can transform and change your life's trajectory. You can read the story of the Syro-Phoenician or gentlewoman in Mark 7, or Matthew 15, of her cry for help and expression of faith to the Lord. Think of this. God is only asking you to prostrate and humble yourself to Him. In return, if you believe that is a gift, by the way, then you will have eternal life. And if you seek His kingdom and righteousness, all things shall be added unto you. I know what I'm talking here is just a reminder to all of you guys, as I have said earlier, uh, I am pretty confident that you are getting a steady diet of good, sound preaching of the Word of God. So uh, bear, bear with me as we go through this, as, as we flesh out uh, the verse that's in front of us. So how do we live a sanctified life, a godly life? Is this even possible? A godly life, a sanctified life? separated from the world and for the purpose of God? That's the sanctified life, right? Is this even possible? The short answer is yes. It is possible through the Word of God. And you can read that in John 17, 17. says, sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. The Word of God sanctify us. But how? 
Go with me to Acts 59, 59. And that verse will give us the answer. Acts 59. It says, God purify or sanctify our hearts using his word and by faith. In simple words, putting it into practice, what we know about God. In technical terms, if you want technicality, from orthodoxy to orthopraxy. So what you know about God, you put it into practice. That's orthopraxy. So practically, living a sanctified life starts from recognizing and believing that justification is by grace through faith in Christ alone, and then desiring to glorify God. The word desire in Greek is theo, which means to will or wish. It's very important to take note of the word everyone from our verse. This would be interesting because I think we can all relate to what I am about to say. Because we wish for a lot of things. But let me mention five things that are very common to all of us. We wish for better career, higher pay, bigger bonuses, nicer cars, and a peaceful home or marriage. This life of ours is full of wishes and desires. Think of your last birthday, for example. Do you remember your wishes? Who has his last birthday recently? Did you have Oh, yeah. So, did you remember your wishes? Sometimes we don't even think if those wishes we are having are godly desires, actually. And most of the time, we just want all the best in this life. Your best life now, kind of Christianity. Have you heard of that? Your best life now, kind of Christianity. Uh, I'm hoping that nobody's following that. This church. Because this life is not our best life now. We are called to suffer for the cross, for the gospel. Are you starting to feel uncomfortable? I hope you do. And believe me, I'm also preaching this to myself. Because like what Paul was telling to Timothy, we should guard our desires, particularly the God-given desires, For we, the people of God, have new desires from the moment of conversion. Do you have the desire to study the Word of God? To have fellowship with the people of God? Um, To study the Word of God, to have fellowship with the people of God, to commune with God every moment of the day? Um, in every situation and circumstance, the desire to worship God every day, and especially during this day, the, the, the Lord's Day, Sunday, the desire to tell others about Jesus, and so on and so forth. These are, what I'm mentioning here, godly desires, I believe. And Do you all agree that these are godly desires that we should do if we are in Christ? Communion with God, praying, 
fellowshipping with other believers, praying with one another, encouraging one another. Um, church, these are foundational and will help us mature in our faith. To grow in maturity in our relationship and faith to the Lord. I sincerely hope that we have a growing desire to obey, please, and honor our Father in heaven. I hope that we continue seeking Him and knowing Him in our lives, resolved and, de- and determined to glorify God and enjoy Him forever as our chief goal. Resolve and determine to glorify God and enjoy Him forever as our chief goal. Did you recognize that? Quote? That's from the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which states that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The lust of the flesh and our eyes must be trumped by our greatest desire to glorify God. I know this is easier said than done, but church, know this. You have the Spirit of God indwelling in you. When He is telling you not to do something, I hope that you will agree with Him and do the right thing. It takes a lot of takes a lot to be strong, but remember, you have the power of God. It was given already to you, so you can resist temptation and sin. Believe me, God enables us, from the moment of our conversion, to be victorious over temptation and sin. The change of heart that happens at our conversion is actually now making progress when we agree with the Holy Spirit's work in us. Submit to Him, brothers and sisters, not out of compulsion, but with a willing heart, because you love the Lord. Now, if we have the desire to glorify God, pursuing godliness will actually happen naturally. Look again with me from 2 Timothy 3, verses 10 to 11. It says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in, my, in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. Verse 11, my persecution and suffering, almost interchangeably used by Paul, persecution and suffering, that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecution I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Our verse is all about living a godly life, how it should look like in our lives. The Greek word used is eusebus, Josh, a while ago, uh, was using a Greek word. And what's the word again, Josh? Tehila? Tehila. So now, New Testament is written in Greek, right? So the, the word godliness in Greek is eusebus, meaning piously or religiously. This Greek word was used only... This Greek word is used by Paul 11 times. And uh, in First Timothy alone, he used this, uh, sorry, Paul used this in the pastoral epistles 13 times. And in the brief span of pastoral letters, First and Second Timothy and Titus, with a whooping ta- nine in one in First Timothy alone. So he used this word. 13 times, and in First Timothy alone, he used it nine times. 
And in Second uh, Timothy and Titus, he used it four times. Though this word, being religious or pious, over time has had many bad connotations in our society because of our obscure understanding of the same word, because of our fallenness and blindness, we have an ambiguous and equivocal understanding of what true religiosity means. And most often than not, when it comes to our own religiosity, we are quick to justify our actions by saying, well, I am only human. In a way, we are saying, I am created like this. Does this kind of reasoning sound a little bit familiar to you? And sometimes we also flippantly justify our being not pious because of our humanity. Sometimes we even pejoratively call people Pharisees or holier than thou when they display piousness or obedience to the Lord. Well, now, this is not only happening outside of the church, but also inside the church. This is an indictment to us, calling evil good and good evil. I think this is one of the difficulty Paul is talking about in verse 1, where he says, But understand this, that in the last days there will be that in the last days there will be there will come times of difficulty. It is really difficult for us to determine what is good or evil if we follow the example of Adam and Eve when they redefine what is good and evil by believing the lie, the lie of the serpent. It became the word of God. It became the word of God versus the word of the serpent. And I'm sure you know what, what happened next. I think we need to always be reminded the word of God is our standard of being good or godly. I'll repeat that again. The Word of God is our standard how to, be, how to live a godly life, how to be godly. Admit it or not, we tend to be forgetful very often. Go back again with me in verse 2 to 5. Verse 2 to 5. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, and a peaceable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness by deny, but denying its power. This is the exact opposite of godliness. And we all are familiar to those things, to these things, because before we are slave to them, before we are slave to sin and thus ungodly. The context of Paul here, he's saying here in Ephesus where Timothy serves as a pastor, Paul is telling him that his role as a pastor will be difficult because so-called Christians will live ungodly lives. You call it ironic? I call it fake Christianity. My friends, external piousness is worthless before God. The heart is what matters most. Internal 
Transformation is what matters most to God. The warning of the Lord to his disciples when he said, Your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees for you to, in, to, for you to enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5.20 You and me should have our motives and intentions in all our actions geared towards the pursuit of true godliness that honors the Lord. To be godly, therefore, means that the means of grace is our regular diet as believers, prayer, Bible study, fellowship, worship, evangelism, discipleship, so on and so forth. Listen to what John MacArthur say about our prayers. Guard your prayers. Always be aware of the enormous privilege you have to approach the infinite God and to receive his glorious, his gracious provisions. Yet always do so with his glory as your highest goal. For the sake of time, I will just remind you of these things, the means of grace. This is how we grow towards maturity, towards our sanctification. And to summarize, the means of grace and our sanctification, this sanctification stage, this second sanctification stage, which is the experiential sanctification, progressive sanctification that happens from the moment we got justified, and it will end from the moment that we'll be fully glorified or fully sanctified. The summary that I will be giving you is knowing Christ and making him known. It's all about him, and it's only possible in him, which now leads us to our next point, in Christ Jesus. The prepositional word, in, is so powerful that we can make a several sermon out of it. The preposition means that a godly life is only possible, I'll repeat that again, it's only possible if the source is in Jesus Christ. There's no true godliness and righteousness apart from him. I am sure you know what happened when we got regenerated. God planted this word in us to transform and change us from the innermost. The seed, which is the word of God, received with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. James 1.21 From this analogy of a seed, do you think that the seed planted by God will remain as a seed? Of course not. This seed of the word of God will grow and bear fruit. Jesus said in John 14:15, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. That is from John 14:15. So as we continue to live godly lives, expect that the world will hate us because it has hated our Lord first before it hated us. In John 15, 19, if you were, it says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own because you are not, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world Therefore, the world, fill in the blank, if you're still here with me. What does it say? John 15, 19. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore, the world, blank, 
hates you, hates us. Are you somehow convinced now that suffering and persecution is an essential part of our faith? Yes, I know, I understand, it's hard to say because it's almost like very foreign, foreign to us, this idea of persecution and suffering for our faith in Jesus Christ. But you know what? This thing, persecution, is the best way for us to win the world. It's how the Lord Jesus accomplished the work for our salvation. So remember Jesus then. Remember Jesus' death on the cross. Who could ever think that his death is God's way of saving the world? Christians like you and me would now have been illuminated by God. We know that it's the way of the cross for us to be redeemed and be saved. Also remember Stephen from Acts 7. His persecution caused the dispersion of the believers out of Jerusalem and thus the spread of Christianity. There's no doubt that persecution is, stark, is a stark reality of living the Christian life. Christian persecution is to be expected as our verse explicitly states. The New Testament teaches that Christians should expect persecution. Write this if you may. Matthew 10, 17 and 18. John 15, 20. 1 Peter 4, 12. And 1 Peter 5, 9. Matthew 10, 17 and 18. John 15, verse 20. 1 Peter 4, verse 12, and 5, verse 9. So those are other verses that you can refer to regarding our topic. So now, persecution, my friends, is unavoidable. It comes with our new position in Christ. But dear friends, take comfort that whatever cross we are required to bear, let us see him, our Lord, carrying a heavier. Whatever cross we are required to bear, let, let us see him, our Lord, carrying a heavier. That, that is from the Valley of Visions prayer book. I have, I have high hopes for Christianity to thrive, especially in the most difficult times, because I believe in the power of God that is at work in every believer. Philippians 1, 6 says, and I'm sure of this, that he who, who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So I hope that we will never say when we are suffering persecution that we did not sign up for this. Remember, hardship and sacrifice are inherent in a Christian life. Listen again to me from, uh, from Paul, uh, chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8 to 13. Good to be reminded of these things. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 8 to 13 says, Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David, 
this is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy. Here is a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. As God's people, always be reminded of these things. Notice also from this, from this verse, from this passage, how Paul transitioned from singular pronoun, pronoun to the plural pronoun we. Singular pronoun I to the plural pronoun we. What does this mean practically? This means that, that, is somebody, that if somebody is suffering because of, our, of his or her faith in Christ, that we should make, that we should be alongside uh, with that brother or sister to somehow share in that suffering. That's our role as a body of Christ. Um, if, you know, I know you are you're aware of what's happening in the church here in Canada, even here in, in Alberta. So many uh, division, disunity, right? How we, um, our perspective towards persecution or even how we do worship at the church, um, but I will not go to that. <laughs> um, so, but we will continue to pray that there will be unity in the churches here in Calgary or in Alberta. Actually, there is a movement, uh, Liberty Coalition, if you're familiar. Uh, there's a movement to open the churches this Easter. Open the churches this Easter. And the last time I checked, there were I think 28 churches here in Alberta that would be opening this coming Easter. Um, again, friends, finally I admit that this topic is intellectually challenging. Thus, we need wisdom from God to understand a little for our comfort. The Word of God gives us exactly what we need to overcome suffering and endure persecution. Pay attention to what I use, overcome persecution and endure persecution. It's not to abolish or to uh, take it away from us, but for us to go with God and endure suffering for His greater glory. Know this, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the foundation of our hope and our greatest joy is knowing one day we will be fully sanctified. So, ultimate sanctification. You might think that, that the glorified life is only when we get to God's kingdom after we die. That may be true, but our time of glorification actually starts at the time we got regenerated, redeemed, or saved. The time when God moved in our lives and He transferred us, transferred us from darkness to light. Ephesians 5.8 Acts 26.18, and Matthew 10.27. Though we are not yet perfected, or the sinful nature is still in us, or this body of sin is still alive, we are not yet fully redeemed or glorified. We are awaiting 
for the perfection that will be granted to all true believers of Jesus Christ. This will happen at the resurrection of the living. Be encouraged, brothers and sisters, that no matter how hard life it could get, that we will persevere and endure and will continue to stand on our faith in Jesus Christ. Remember, he promised that he will be with us until the end of days, and he will never leave us nor forsake us. Remember that like Timothy, he was acquainted with the word. If I would ask you to remember one thing from this preaching, this is the one thing that I would like you to remember. Be acquainted, like Timothy, to the Word of God. Be acquainted to the Word of God so that you can endure suffering and persecution. Brothers and sisters, life is fleeting and like a mist here today, gone tomorrow. Uh, we pray that Christ will come soon and bring us to glory. That is, that is our hope, right? Come, Lord Jesus, come. That's our prayer. Because sometimes it gets too hard for us to live this Christian life. It's not this life, again, as like what I've said a while ago. A Christian life is not a bed of roses. So remove that from your mindset. Uh, a Christian life is a life bearing our cross daily. Remember that verse? It's also from the Bible. Behold, he is coming soon with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierce him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Let us pray. Father God, we praise you, we thank you, we adore you, we worship you for your good and your faithful. Thank you, God, that even though life gets so hard and troublesome, that we experience so much difficulty in our walk of faith, that we know that you always be with us. You will always help us. Your grace and mercy is sufficient for us, oh God. So help us, help your church, Lord, to thrive even in these difficult times that your gospel will go forth and save more people so that they can as well worship you, our Lord, our God. We love you so much, and we praise you again for who you are. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You see someone wandering into sin, love them enough to call them back. Be humble, be gentle, be kind. Go in with the assumption you might be totally wrong about what you think you see. Verse 20 has this beautiful promise. If you can restore them, you can bring back that wandering brother to the truth, back to the church, back to fellowship and restoration, you're saving his soul from death and covering a multitude of sins. So, yes, it is God who saves, not you. 
Yes, it is the Lord who will keep his own, who will not lose one of those whom the Father has given him. But he uses many tools to accomplish that end, right? He uses the preaching of the word. He uses the prayers of the saints. He uses the loving rebuke of a brother or sister. Seek after the wandering. Let no one walk away from the church without our hands clinging to their ankles. Brother, come back. Without them clearly hearing the call to repentance, to restoration, to return to grace. That's not easy. That's harder than you think it is. It is rarely welcomed by the one who is wandering. Um, It is not culturally appropriate. You very likely will hear, my sin is my problem. This is my life. It's not your business. This is between me and God. Who do you think you are? And none of that matters. This is our calling. This is what we're charged to do, to care for one another in this way. And on the flip side, there's no greater joy than to see one who was, who was hurting and, and wandering into sin be brought back into repentance, into fellowship. People come and go from churches so fluidly these days. Pop in here, pop in there, come a day, stay away, stay a few months, come again. Um, that's not what the church is meant to be. We're meant to be a family. We're meant to be this this like military brotherhood, striving together day in and day out, not just Sunday mornings, um, but, but, but small groups. And in small groups, we're connecting and weaving our lives together and, and connecting with one another as we walk this road together. We strengthen each other. We hold each other accountable. We're, we're committed together. We should be so plugged in to a body of believers, that so, so committed and consistent to such a degree that that if we don't show up for a couple of weeks, people are asking questions. Hey, where you been? I missed you. I didn't see you in church. And that's strange that I didn't see you in church. Like we get so comfortable with like a once a month church attendance. I think it's crazy. Like this is to be our, our life together. Give yourself to the body of Christ. Give yourself to the church, the body in that degree. Um, and, and let me just say, expect that kind of accountability. Expect that the people here are going to love you enough to say, hey, where were you? We missed you. And then flip it and be on the watch. Be looking out for your brothers and sisters. You see someone having a a hard time or you you notice, boy, where's so-and-so been? I haven't seen them for like a few weeks. Call them up. Connect with them. It doesn't have to be a big deal. Just reach out. Hey, I, I haven't seen you for a while. Can you just... Can we, can we catch up? Can we grab a coffee? Can we go for a walk together? And then ask the hard questions. How you doing? How's your faith? I haven't seen you at church for a while. What's going on? Oh, well, I had COVID. Oh, okay. Glad you didn't come. Good to see you again. Glad you're back. Oh, well, I'm really wrestling with this sin. Or, or boy, I just, there's this division between me and another brother. Okay, let's solve that. Let me, let me help bring you back into the fold. This is how the church ought to operate. This is who we ought to be. So we're going to close in song this morning, but before we do that, um, I want us to give us some just real clear forward steps. I think there's a lot of appropriate application here. Um, So Josh, if you want to come forward and and prepare to lead us, um, but I want you to think about it in three categories. There's a lot of possible applications. Maybe 
Maybe you're looking around and thinking, well, I haven't seen so-and-so for a while now that you mention it. I wonder where they're at. No idea what's going on. Maybe it's a cold. Um, maybe they're struggling. So, again, no shame in using your phone in church today. Um, pull your phone out. Send them a text right now. Hey, where you been? Hey, I missed you. Hey, how you doing? Hey, can we connect? And, and then pursue that. How's your walk with the Lord? Let that conversation go deeper than just, you know, how was work this week? Secondly, take a look inside your own heart. Are you staying healthy? Are you submitting to the, to the church, to the fellowship in that kind of close community? Do you have frequent opportunity to confess your sins to one another? Better yet, do you have people in your life who won't let you get away without doing that, who are going to look you in the eye and say, okay, let me have it. What's going on? And if not, you also need to pull out your phone. Send me an email. Okay, John, help me find a small group. Done. Awesome. Thrilled to do that. Or, hey, I'm ready to take the next step in, in membership. I've been kind of floating, half committed. I'm ready to move forward in that. Fantastic. Or maybe you are connected and, and you've been neglecting it. You've not been transparent. You're not coming and bearing your heart and, and being honest about where you're at. Send your small group leader an email. Hey, can you help me with this? I, I need to go a step deeper. And uh, your small group leader is going to help you with that. Next, next time there's small group, they're going to look at you and say, okay, how you doing? How you really doing? Don't just, don't just commit to it. Do it now. Like actually pull out your phone. Actually do it. Or maybe one last one. You feel like you're at the end of your rope. Yeah, John, I'm just beat down. I am exhausted, I'm faltering, I'm, I'm weak, I'm discouraged. Um, our elders are going to come up here. And during this next song, um, if you want us to anoint you with oil and pray for you, we would be so thrilled to do that, to stand with you, to encourage you, to build you up. And, and so, um, yeah, if, if, if a bunch of people come and you need to wait, please wait. Um, but do it. Don't, don't leave it. Um, we, we want to pray for you. We want to encourage you. We want to be doing this faithfully as a church. And so um, Josh and, and Maurice are going to lead us in worship, and, and uh, the elders are going to come forward. We'll have two on either side. Um, if you want to come for prayer, come for prayer. Um, and uh, if not, um, just ask that as, this, as the song ends, if you would just kind of make your way out quietly and leave it kind of quiet in here as we, as we pray up here. There's lots of room to fellowship at the back. Um, but would you stand together? Elders, why don't you guys come on up? Um, and uh, let me just encourage you to walk this out.